really saw me as I am, and he loved me. I love that song, Unredeemed. It reminds us of that. And um, Sometime back, I'd heard about Rebecca Harris, uh, what God's doing in her life, and it worked out where she's able to come share with us today. And uh, there's been some stuff happening around here. You know how when God wants to show up, everything seems to go wrong? We've had one of those mornings, which to me is just a testimony that God wants to bless. So let's pray. I'm going to ask Rebecca then to come. Lord, here we are. And you still decided to come, Lord. You always do. Pray this morning, Holy Spirit, that you might anoint our speaker, God, and that you might anoint our ears and our hearts that we might hear from you. Lord, we just need you, Father. So may you reveal yourself in your glory that we might see Jesus. That's who we need. In your name we pray. Amen. Come speak, Rebecca. I've never figured that out. I don't know. I don't know. I can use that one. I can use that. I won't be moving around much. Are you sure you don't Good morning. Now that y'all got a good laugh out of me. But that's okay. I laugh more at myself than anybody. So, um, but now I'm uh, I'm thankful to be here this morning. Grateful for your pastor um, for allowing me the opportunity to come and share with you guys um, my testimony. Not really my testimony, but but God's testimony, what He's done for me. Um, because I can't stand up here on my own, my own strength, my own power, and I didn't get here on my own. Um, and I'm still just a sinner saved by grace. And uh, but God's been good to me. And uh, he's blessed me. If, if somebody had told me a few years back that I'd be standing up here doing this, I'd have laughed them out of the room and said, you've lost your mind. Actually, the first time I ever shared my testimony, I told the preacher that. I said, you've lost your mind. I said, there's no way. And uh, But he won. But uh, anyway, I uh, uh, just want to share with you guys. I- I'll start out by uh, by saying I was a preacher's kid. Uh, how many of y'all know about preacher's kids? Uh, and me and Trista, my, a friend of mine that's here with me, was kind of she's a deacon's kid, and so I told her, you know, that's that's the reason preachers' kids are always so bad is because of the deacons' kids, and at least that's what I was always told growing up. So, <laughs> and uh, so that's that's the reason. But um, my dad, my dad pastored. Um, he was a pastor, and he worked full time uh, across the mountain over in North Carolina, Asheville, North Carolina, and um, he was gone most of the time. Uh, he he was never really home. Um, he was, um, you know, being a pastor, preacher, I mean, you're on call 24-7, uh, people calling and, and all this and needing somebody to counsel, talk to them and, and everything, plus working and stuff. So my dad was never really home a lot. I, was, I had two older brothers. I was the good one out of the bunch. Uh, no, just kidding. Um, but uh, I like to think that sometimes. Uh, but, uh, you know, like any, any uh, brothers and sisters, we fought like cats and dogs and and uh, we would tear Mama's nerves all to pieces because she stayed at home with us all the time. And all his dad would have to do is walk in, see the shape Mama was in, and he'd be like, what have y'all done to your Mama? And uh, so we knew he was in trouble. But um, at, at seven years old, I don't really remember much about my childhood before then, but at seven years old, I was sitting in the back 
uh, the church, probably middle of the church, with my mamaw. Um, and uh, my mamaw and papaw lived right down below us growing up. Uh, they was more like my mom and dad than my mom and dad. I was the only granddaughter, and I'll just be honest with you guys, I was sport rotten. Um, I had them wrapped around my finger, and uh, I, I would rub it into my brothers uh, during Christmas or birthdays. I'd always get more presents and stuff, and so I had to rub that in a little bit. And, and uh, But uh, I could get by with anything. I, I would get in trouble sometimes, and, and so I would call my mamma and tell on my dad. And uh, she would call up there to my dad and say, don't you whoop that youngin. And sometimes that worked, sometimes it didn't. Sometimes it made it worse. Um, but uh, so she was, I was real close to my mom and papa growing up. And, and at seven years old, she elbowed me. And she said, don't you think it's time you go to the altar? I said, sure, if that's where you want me to go. And so at seven years old, I made my way down to the altar. I said the prayer they told me to say, dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart, forgive me. Everything else that goes along with that. And I got up just as lost as when I got down um, because I didn't mean it. Um, I didn't say it with my heart. I had it up here. I said what they told me to say. I went through the motions, and um, and so I didn't get get saved. But but I was raised in church enough to where I knew how to talk like a Christian, walk like a Christian, act like a Christian, look like a Christian. And so everybody thought I was okay. I mean, I was the preacher's kid. Um, I was okay. I was good to go. And and um, and so that's what I made everybody believe for a long time. And and uh, I remember shortly after that, for the first time really remembering God dealing with my heart and really convicting me and me realizing that if I would have died right then, I'd have went to hell. And um, I, I tried to get with my mom to talk to her, and something happened, and, and I never did talk to her or anything, never said anything to anybody. Uh, but I remember that very clearly in my room, thinking, man, I, I'm lost. And uh, But I went on uh, doing, you know, what kids do and stuff. And, and at nine years old, I'd been around uh, drugs. I'd been around alcohol. Um, some of my family was alcoholics. Some of them abused drugs. And um, I always hung around with older people. I knew what it was. And, and so at nine years old, um, I went down to my mamaw's house, and I would get in her medicine cabinet. I thought, man, this, you know, I'm just curious. As I mean, everybody's like, nine years old? I, I don't know. And wasn't really anything going on in my family or, or trying to get, get away from anything. But, but I went down there and got in her medicine cabinet. I took out a couple of pills out of each bottle, uh, wrote it down what it looked like, um, what the name of it was, and so I wouldn't get them mixed up. And I took it back up to the house, and I looked it up in the drug book. And if it had any side effects like sleepiness, drowsiness, dizziness, I would take it. And, and it's just by the grace of God that that I'm here today because still this day I don't know what some of the stuff was that I took. And uh, But but I remember thinking, man, I like this. Uh, apparently something I got a hold of made me feel good, and, and I liked it. And so needless to say, I was spending the night with my mom and papa a whole lot more. And um, I, I tell people, though, it... Uh, at nine years old, the first time, um, and also at, at 11, which I'll, I'll go ahead and share this. At 11 years old um, is the first time I ever shot up. Um, I was at a friend's house. Their parents was sitting there shooting up right in front of us. And I stuck my arm outside here, hit me too. And uh, they shot me up with a shot of morphine. And I believe the first time I ever had a needle stuck in my arm, I believe I was hooked. I believe I was addicted. I liked it. And... Uh, but, but at 9 and 11 years old, the first time I ever smoked a joint, first time I ever took a pill, uh, took a drink, uh, took a shot of dope, I never dreamed it would take me where it took me. Uh, I never dreamed I would end up in some of the places I ended up. I never dreamed I would do some of the things I would do. And see, the devil doesn't tell you that, and your buddies don't tell you that, um, that this is what's going to happen if you get hooked. And uh, because uh, he makes us just realize and see the good things about it. Yeah, I feel good partying it up, living it up with my buddies, my friends, and, 
and uh, all those lines that I set for myself. And, and I said, man, I'll, I'll never cross this line. I'll never do this. I'll never go this far. I crossed every one of them because of drugs and alcohol. And, um, and so 11 years old when I shot up, um, after that I, was, um, I would get as uh, dope whenever I could, uh, drugs and alcohol, and I was drinking, smoking pot. Uh, Mom and Dad really didn't know anything about it. Um, they said that back then they didn't see it. You can ask them now, and, and they say, you know, now looking back, um, we can tell something was going on with you, something was, something was up, the change in you, but then at that time they couldn't see it. And, um, and you know, which I'd keep it hid, do it a lot at night and stuff after they was already gone in bed. I played sports um, all growing up, basketball and softball. That was my life. Um, I love sports. God had just gifted me naturally. Um, by the time I was 13, 14, 15 years old, I was taking anywhere between 20, 30, and 40 pills a day at a time every single day and, and shooting up once, two, twice, three times a day, whatever I could get. And, uh, and I enjoyed it and felt like I wasn't hurting anybody else uh, or, you know, it was just me. Uh, why does anybody care? And, and I can remember at, at 13 years old, though, my dad had an evangelist um, come and preach, Ronnie Owens. I don't know. He's been around these areas. Anybody know Ronnie Owens? Heard that name? He's an evangelist, and, and he preaches. And he came to my dad's church, and, and he came up to me after the service, and he said, you're lost. And he said, this, this, and this is the reason why. And I thought, wow, how do you know me? Who are you? And get out of my face. Because everything he said was right on. And, um, and, and honestly, even being a preacher's kid, that was probably the first time I was really ever confronted with being lost. And, um, and, and because I didn't get saved or anything, but because of that, we formed a friendship, uh, a friendship me and Ronnie did. And, and because I could see something different in Ronnie. I've been in a lot of churches all my life, um, being a preacher's kid and traveling and different things. And, and uh, most people, most churches I walked into, I lived in a small town. Uh, things got around pretty easily. And, and I felt like people stuck their nose up in there at me. They didn't want anything to do with me. Um, and, and so I really didn't see Christ in a whole lot of Christians. And, um, and that kept me away. And, and uh, a lot of the people that was in church I partied with. And, and I thought, wow, you know, if you're okay, I'm okay. And, and, um, but, but we became friends because I could tell he was real. And I tell people today, I believe that's what the world wants to see more than anything is just somebody that's real. And, um, and, and I could tell he really cared about somebody like me. And that meant something to me uh, because I didn't, I didn't see that much and I didn't feel that much. And regardless of what he knew about me, um, I, I could tell he cared. And I'll tell you guys this, people can tell when you really love them. They can tell. This world can tell. When we're just putting on a front and we say the words, I love you, because we use those words so loosely anymore, they can tell if you really mean it. And I could tell that, and, and so we became friends, and I would call him up and talk to him, and, and he even says at times that, that I would call him so messed up, 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, and tried to talk to him. And, and so whenever he would come around town and, and be preaching, I would go to hear him preach. And even when I got old enough to get out of church, I would go hear him preach. And uh, people asked me, they said, why, why did you even go to church? Why would you continue to go hear him preach? And, and I thought about that, and, and my answer was, I was looking for something. I was looking for something different. I wanted something different. But honestly, I wanted somebody to prove to me that what they had in God was better than what I had in the drugs and alcohol. And again, I didn't see that much. Uh, walk into church and, and all the frowns on people's faces and look like, well, here it is, Sunday again. i got to be here. Let's go do my thing and get out. And that's really how I felt. And, and I thought, man, if, if God brings that, I don't need it uh, because I'm looking for something better. And... and um, like I said, all through school, I, I used drugs. 
um, would go to practice high. I, I got to the point where I felt like that I, could, I, I played ball better. You know how drunks feel like they drive better drunk? Um, I felt like I played ball better high and uh, couldn't, go, couldn't go and play or do anything without being high. Um, I got to, to such a point, even at 14, 15 years old, that I would have to fix me up a shot of dope uh, and a rig and a needle and lay it beside my bed because the first thing I had to do when my feet hit the ground was do a shot of dope just to be able to function. I couldn't function without it. And, um, and there was even times that, that I, would do, I, I would do my dope at night just to be able to go to sleep and wake up in the middle of the night and have to do some more just to be able to go back to sleep because I would already start withdrawing off of it. And, um, and, and, but I wouldn't take too much because I didn't want to waste my dope. You know, just enough to be able to go back to sleep. And, and uh, deep down inside, I was, I was like the party clown um, on the outside, looking like I was having all kinds of fun. I was the ringleader and everything. And, but on the inside, man, I was miserable. Um, there was many times in my life I can remember just thinking, man, I just want to die. Uh, I just want to die. I'm, I'm done living. I'm, I'm tired of this life. And, and, but I remembered all those times growing up in church, and I thought, man, if there is a hell, that's where I'm going. And, and that scared me. And, and, and there'd be times I'd lay awake at night and think, man, you know, if I die tonight, I'm going to go to hell. And, 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 but I would just do more dope and cover it up and quit trying to think about it and dealing with it. And, and um, my junior year in high school, um, I went and I ended up getting kicked off the basketball team for years and I couldn't stay clean. And uh, they kicked me off. My, my basketball coach came up to me and he said, he said, Rebecca, he said, you're an awesome player. He said, you could go just about anywhere you want to go. And he said, but you need ball more than ball needs you. And I didn't get that at the time, but he was trying to keep me out of trouble. He thought, man, if I could play ball. And, and that was the one thing mom and dad always threatened me with is, um, you know, if you don't straighten up, we're going to make you quit basketball because they knew I loved it. Man, that always made me so mad. I thought, man, don't take the one thing that I love because then, you know, I will, I will go and do whatever I want to because I'll have nothing. And, but I got kicked off the, the ball team. And, and uh, by my junior year before that happened, I'd already had like 15 different scholarship offers to go just by any college I wanted to go to in ball. And I, I had these big dreams and aspirations. I was either going to go UT or UNC, and uh, because really that that was my passion was playing ball. And and um, you know drugs took that from me. It stole it from me. And and uh, end up that that same year they they kept me on the softball team. But I went and I ended up getting kicked off the softball team that same year as a junior. And uh, because I couldn't stay clean, um, I would go to practice so messed up I couldn't even stand up. And and uh, thinking I was being cool, I guess I don't know. And and um, Shortly after that, 17 years old, my papa comes up to me, and uh, he said, Rebecca, he said, your mamma's praying. If it takes her life to get you saved, she'll give it. And I threatened God, tried to bargain with God, however you want to put it. And I told God, I said, if you take my mamma, I'll never step foot in another church again. And we can't threaten God, and we can't bargain with him. And two weeks later, my mamma died of a massive heart attack. You talking about getting bitter. You talking about getting cold-hearted, hard-hearted. God, where I didn't care about anything or anybody. And because I couldn't understand how a loving, merciful God could take a good Christian like my mamma, that, man, I would go down there and she would be pouring her heart out to God, praying for me, and I'd have to walk out and leave. And, and I couldn't understand how he would take somebody like that and leave somebody here like me because I knew I was a no-good-for-nothing junkie. And, and so I couldn't understand that. And, and um, I even got to the point where I didn't even believe that there was a God. Um, I, I tell people that deep down I, I, I think I knew there was a God, but it was easier for me to convince myself there wasn't a God. Because if I could convince myself God didn't exist, I didn't have to answer to him. Uh, and, and so it was easier that way. I got into the Marilyn Manson, wearing all black, um, got so cold-hearted and hard-hearted that, that somebody could have been laying down in front of me uh, dying, 
and I'd have walked over top of them, patted them down, took what they had, and kept on going. I mean, that's just the, the shape I was in. I didn't care. Um, and, and people even asked me, you know, are you on a death wish? And, and I wasn't, but I just didn't care anymore. And um, shortly after that, my dad uh, moved to a former part of uh, USSR, Republic of Georgia. And I hadn't turned 18 yet, and he took a job over there. And um, I hadn't turned 18 yet, so they made me go with him. I didn't want to go. And uh, went over there. And, and But my, I talked to my softball coach. He said, we'll give you another chance to come back and play softball your senior year. And I said, okay. And, and I only needed three credits to graduate. Um, you had to take five and a semester to be able to play sports, though. So when I got over there, I took classes over the Internet to be able to come back and play ball when I got back the second half of school. And, and I went over there, and there was no drinking age. Uh, you could buy narcotics over the counter over there. And, and um, I got in a lot worse. I was already a real bad uh, drug addict, but I became a lot worse alcoholic uh, when I come back. I couldn't, I wouldn't take pills without drinking. I wouldn't drink without taking pills uh, because I felt like they went hand in hand. And I would, I would take 20 and 30 pills at a time and drink straight shots of liquor on top of it. And before I would even catch a buzz or get high, I would black out. And, uh, and, but I wanted to get as high as I could as fast as I could because I just didn't care. And, um, Ended up coming back right before I turned 18. Mom and Dad come back in for Christmas, and I stayed in um, to uh, to go back and, and play ball. And uh, shortly after that, I made it two weeks on the softball team, and I got kicked out because I couldn't stay clean again. And uh, so I dropped out of school because I felt, you know, I thought I was already graduated with my credits and stuff. And shortly after that, I went to jail for the very first time at 17 years old um, for stealing a vehicle. They sent me to a juvenile detention center. Um, I was in there a couple, couple weeks, two and a half weeks, something like that. Um, my my mom and dad had, had gotten me out. Uh, they'd uh, they'd stayed in for a little while and ended up getting me out. And um, when I turned 18, jail became my home away from home. Um, it, it became a revolving door. And jail time never bothered me. I always looked at it. You know, they got to let me out sometime. And honestly, jail is no deterrent. I would go in there three meals a day, uh, cable TV, um, had just as much dope locked up as I did on the streets. And I'd go in there and rest up and get back out and do my thing. And uh, altogether, I've been in now jail over 30 times. Um, I've got 15 different felonies on my record. I've been in and out of 11 different rehabs, and, and I've overdosed four times. And two of those times, the, the doctor said, we don't know how you lived through it. And, and uh, I can look back at so many instances in my life back then, and, and I can see that even in the depths of my sin, even doing what I was doing, that God still had his hand on me. God was still watching over me. Uh, because I shouldn't be here today. And maybe even some of y'all can look back and think, man, I shouldn't be here today. And uh, God in his mercy, even even as a sinner and a lost person, his mercy and grace still showed forth. And um, and so uh, at uh, at 18 years old, um, I went to jail. I got in a high-speed police chase and tried to run over two cops. They tried to charge me with two counts of attempted murder on a police officer with a vehicle. And they dropped it down to two counts of aggravated assault on a police officer, and I ended up with like 14 charges on me just with that one instance, and uh, spent about six and a half months in jail, and, and they sent me to a, a drug uh, rehab facility down in Knoxville. I got kicked out of the first rehab I went to for using. Uh, they transported me to another one I used the whole time I was there, sent me to a halfway house. And uh, I'd always said, uh, growing up in Irwin, um, Irwin, small town, everybody knows everybody, and I'd always said, man, Irwin's my problem. If I can just get away from Irwin, um, I'll be okay. The law hates me. Uh, they've got my number. They won't let it go. I mean, I got pulled over seven times in one week one time. Um, they hated me, and I'll be honest with you, the feeling was mutual. I did not like them. And, uh, and I would ag it on a lot of times just because I didn't care. And, um, 
But I went to Knoxville and went to the halfway house, and I ended up getting arrested five times in two months. And I thought, wow, maybe Irwin's not my problem. Maybe it's Rebecca. And, uh, but I didn't care. It didn't, it didn't bother me. And, and I ended up uh, coming back shortly after that, and uh, Mom and Dad really didn't want me home. My family had disowned me. They didn't want nothing to do with me, and we couldn't even be in the same room together. Um, and uh, I would tell them what I thought and not think twice about it and had no respect for, for anything or anybody. And, and um, I ended up, uh, I was homeless for about a year down in Knoxville before I moved back uh, when I came back. And, and then, like I said, jail just um, became that revolving door. Uh, didn't care about anything, anybody. Um, you know, I was, I was breaking into houses, doing the drug charges, uh, forging prescriptions, uh, doing anything and everything that I wanted to because I felt like I could. And, um, and uh, like I said, just didn't care uh, about nothing or nobody. At 19 years old, I ended up getting pregnant. And I'd always dog people. I said, man, you know, if, if I would have ever got pregnant and was going to have the baby, I'd quit doing dope. How could you, how could you still do dope while you're pregnant? And uh, when I got pregnant with my son, I couldn't quit. Um, first time I'd probably ever really tried to quit, and I couldn't. And, and I cut back. But cutting back to me was still taking 20 pills and shooting up every day. And, and I would take a handful of pills, and, and I would black out. And I would come to him, and the first thing I'd do is I'd put my hand on my belly to see if I could feel my son kick because it would terrify me. And as soon as I'd feel him kick, it was back on again. I would, I would go and do whatever I wanted to do. And, and, and as you can tell, he looks pretty healthy today. Uh, he's, he's my little man. But um, I'd end up getting married. Me and my husband ended up getting married. Uh, my dad kind of pressured us into getting married. He was a drug addict and an alcoholic as well. And, and, uh, but I had my son. He was six weeks premature. And, and by the grace of God, he only had to stay in the hospital a couple of weeks. And, and, and everything, no, no major problems or nothing. And, and I always told myself, you know, I always took care of my son. And, um, you know, I would, I would work. I always worked. And, and I would go and take my check, and I'd buy his formula and his diapers and all that, everything he needed. Then I'd go blow the rest on dope. But I was never really there for him mentally. Um, I never really was what he needed as a mama. And, and we lived. My mom and dad had come back in by this time, and we stayed up there with my mom and dad, me and my husband and my son. And, and uh, you know, they... I, I was blessed because mom and dad did help take care of him, but they enabled me a lot. Um, I would leave Trey with them, and, and me and him, me and Danny would go do our thing and just get high and run the roads and, and all that stuff. And, and uh, But, um, you know, Trey, it, I'd never really thought that he'd ever seen anything. Probably about four years old, um, he'd, he'd came in the bathroom on me a couple of times, and I was in there shooting up and would shut the door thinking he hadn't seen anything. And, and uh, a friend of my dad's came up. And uh, he was taking a shot of insulin. And uh, Trey looks at him. He said, that's the way my mom was going to take her medicine. And I thought, wow. And it would break my heart. And, but I couldn't do anything about it. I would be withdrawing some mornings and days and, and be in a fetal position. And he'd say, Mama, do you want me to go get your medicine? And uh, it would kill me and it would crush me. But I couldn't quit. I couldn't change. And I can't stand for somebody to come up to somebody uh, that's struggling with drugs or alcohol and say, if you loved your youngin, you'd quit. Because I loved my son, and I'd have died for him. Even in the midst of my addiction, I would have died for him. But the addiction had such a hold on me, and I couldn't break it. And I couldn't understand how a peel that big could tell me when to jump and me say how high. And, uh, but, but I ended up going to jail several times after he was born. And, uh, you know, they would bring him, have to come and see me, and it would just break my heart. And we lived like that for several years. And at 23 years old, though, I went, Ronnie had come in, and he was preaching a revival. And I went, and, and everybody in my town would gang up on me because they knew he was the only preacher I would go listen to. So they would all make sure I got word that he was going to be in town preaching, so I would go hear him. 
And uh, I went, and Thursday night he came back to me after the service. He said, Rebecca, he said, don't you think it's time you give your heart to the Lord? I said, Ronnie, man, I just can't. I said, I just don't have it right here. I said, maybe tomorrow night. And as a junkie, a drug addict, I had no intention of coming back to church that next night on Friday night. And but somehow I ended up back at church. And um, he went and, and he gave the invitation. I can't even remember what he preached. I was always the last one in church and the first one out because I didn't want nobody talking to me. And I, I would sit in the very back. And he gave the invitation, man, God was dealing with me so strongly. And, and I, I was grabbing hold of the pew. And my fingerprints are probably still in that pew. And, and I would step out. And I would step back in, and I would step out, and I would step back in. And there was a battle going on inside of me. And, and on one hand, it was saying, if you go up, you'll never have any friends. If you go up, your life will be over as you know it. People will make fun of you. People will dog you. Uh, they're not going to want nothing to do with you. Uh, they're going to call you a Jesus. Do you really think God loves somebody like you? Look at you. Look what you've done, who you are. Uh, you're a drug addict. You're a junkie. Look at your rap sheet. And all this stuff was going through my head. And on the other hand, God was saying, just give me a chance. Just give me a chance. And so March 19th, 2004, I walked down that aisle. And for the first time in my life, I got down and I said, God, save me. Forgive me. Come into my heart. And, uh, and I got up with probably the first genuine smile on my face I'd ever had. And I felt like I was walking on clouds. Um, now, I know you're not saved by feelings, but it sure felt good to get saved. And, um, and, and they had, my dad wouldn't even come to church when I would go because there was so much tension there. And I had told my dad, I said, I'll never step foot in your church again. Uh, and, and I'd said some really bad things to my dad and threw him being a pastor and a preacher up to his face. And, and they'd called him when I come to the altar. And when I got up, my dad had rushed to the church and met me halfway in the aisle. And uh, we just hugged and embraced, and and uh, it was uh, it was it was an awesome thing. And and I went back and I talked to Ronnie after the service, and, and I always carried a box with me, a lock box, because I used to go to the methadone clinic, and and I had all my needles and my rigs and my spoons and all that in there because you just never knew when you'd come across some. And I carried that with me everywhere I went. And I told Ronnie, I said, "Look, Ronnie, I said I can't leave with this in my car," and uh, so I give it to him. And I didn't find out till about two years later that he had forgot that was in his truck and rode around with it for about two months. And uh, I said, don't worry. I said, if you got busted, I'd have come bailed you out. Um, I don't think you believed me, but it was worth a try. And um, now I wish that I could sit here and say, man, after that, my life was all good. Uh, no problems and all this. And, man, I struggled. I still struggle with my addiction. And, and I struggled with the fact that I would go and I would hear other people's story and they would say, man, when I got saved, God delivered me from the, the craving and the desire and all this. And I just quit. And, and, and I would come into church and, and it would look like everybody was living in their little white picket fence. And I would think, dear Lord, what's wrong with me? Because this ain't my life. And, uh, but I, I never missed church. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday, I would go to church. And because I, I knew that church was all I physically had to hang on to. And I thought, man, if I just keep going long enough. Because for the first time in my life, I, I had a desire to want to change, to want to live for God, to want to serve Him and, and, and all this. And, and uh, so I would continue to go to, to church. And, and uh, I was on my way back from work one day, and I had to go see my probation officer. Knew I was having a drug test, and I was dirty. And um, so I cry out to God. And we know how to cry out to God when we're in a fix. And I said, God, I said, if it's your will, or I said, uh, if you'll just let me pass this drug test, um, I promise I'll never take another pill or another drink again. Now, some of y'all are looking at me crazy, but some of y'all have prayed prayers like that before. 
God, if you'll just get me out of this mess, if you'll just do this, I promise I'll go to church more faithful. I'll do this and I'll do it. God knows we're lying when we pray that prayer. And, um, but I prayed it and I put a stipulation on it because I was really at the end of my rope. I wanted to do whatever it took for God to get me where he wanted me. And I said, God, if I do, if I do go back, put me back in jail where I belong. And I meant that with all my heart. Be careful what you ask for. Um, I went and I passed my drug test. Two weeks later, um, I'd relapsed. And um, I was back using. Two weeks later, I was back in jail looking at a 16-year sentence. And uh, for a, it was for a second offense DUI, but it was my fourth violation on house arrest. And they got tired of seeing me. I mean, me and my criminal court judge, we was on a first-name basis. And, um, and the DA stood up and she said, not only do I, I want her to serve her eight-year sentence, because that's the sentence I had on probation, but I want to enhance her eight more years and give her 16 years. And I thought, wow, man, my, my youngin's going to be grown and, um, and all this. And, and I went back to jail, and, and, man, God just broke me. And it wasn't the kind of breaking that, that you get when you know you've been caught doing something or, or you trying to make God think that you're going to straighten it. I mean, God just really broke me. And, and I got down beside my bunk in jail, 70 women, open, open place in uh, Washington County. And I said, God, I said, if it's your will that I do this time, I said, that's fine. I said, you know how hard it is for me to say that. I said, but I mean it with all my heart. And I said, if it's your will that I get out, I said, that's fine too. But wherever I'm at, I just want to be used by you. And I honestly, I meant that prayer with all my heart, but I didn't think God could use somebody like me. I mean, look at me. I'm, I'm in jail and my rap sheet and all this, but I meant that. And I can't explain it, but God set me on fire there in jail. And I started witnessing to all the ladies. I started even witnessing to the jailers. And uh, I, I didn't deserve their respect. I mean, I'm locked up with them. And, but somehow God gave me favor and the respect. And, and we going out and, and I started a prayer circle, 70 of us going outside every day and, and praying out in what we called the dog lot. And, and they even threatened to lock me down for praying, and uh, which some of the flesh was still in me. I said, go ahead. I said, I ain't first time I've ever been locked down. I'll pray in there too. And, uh, but, uh, you know, and, and so I ended up uh, uh, getting to see over 32 women come to know the Lord while I was locked up in jail and I can remember the first person I ever got to lead to the Lord locked up and uh, I can remember just like it was yesterday and and uh, uh, she prayed and asked the Lord to come into her heart and save her and, and she, I told her I, I said I love you and I always had a hard time saying those words to anybody uh, those didn't come easily to me and, and she said you're probably the first person that's ever really told me that and really meant it and I thought wow and and I can remember after seeing her get saved, I thought, wow, man, this is better than dope. Uh, seeing somebody else ask Jesus to come into their heart. And, and I believe the first time I was hooked. Uh, and, uh, and, and so God just blessed in there. And, and I got close to a lot of them ladies. And, and even in the face of 16 years, I can't explain it, but there was a peace, like the Bible says, that surpasses all understanding. You can't explain it unless you've experienced it. And, and it didn't matter because I knew God was in control. And it wasn't, I wasn't trying to hurry and get out of jail. I wasn't calling my mom and dad or whoever else to try to con them into coming and bailing me. I was at peace, and I knew everything was going to be okay. And, and, and while I was in there, just like one of you guys would come up and speak to me, God spoke to my heart, and he said, this is what I want you to do. And I thought, man, God, you know, I didn't know what God's plans was. And I thought, God, I, told, I know I told you 16 years was okay, but I really don't want to spend the rest of my life in here. And, um, but I ended up getting out after nine and a half months. And they let me out to, to give me one more shot at a rehab. And they sent me down to a Christian rehab down in Santee, South Carolina. And I was down there for 10 weeks and, and ended up getting out. And shortly after I got out, my husband um, was uh, 
had been clean a couple of weeks from drugs and alcohol. We were still, he was still living with my mom and dad. That's where I had to go back to. And um, he was struggling. He'd got pneumonia, and he started hurting and getting real sick and stuff. And, and so he went and got him a shot of morphine. Um, and he went in there, and he did it that night. And um, the next morning I woke up, and um, he was barely breathing. And uh, me and my dad took him to the emergency room, and the next day he had passed away. Um, and uh, the, the pneumonia was, was a, a factor in it, but I believe the drugs that he done that night dropped his immune system down so low that he couldn't fight off the pneumonia. And uh, I, I struggled with that. And one of my big struggles with that was what kind of testimony did I have in front of my husband. And uh, he had made a profession uh, shortly after I'd got out of the, the Christian rehab, I, he went to a tent meeting with me that Ralph Sexton was preaching, and, and he went up and made a profession. I believe that Danny really got saved, but he just struggled too, and, and he had never been in church all of his life. And that night, um, it, it was like somebody came up and put their hand on my arm in the middle of the night, and I woke up screaming, hollering Danny's name, and, and I seen, a, I guess, like a shadow or something, I don't know, but Trey woke up and he said, why are you hollering for my daddy? And But I honestly believe that was God's way of telling me that Danny was okay. And nobody could ever convince me any different because I really believe that Danny's in heaven. And, um, but, uh, but I struggled with some things and ended up losing my job shortly after that. And, uh, but that opened up the door for me to go to Ronnie Owens. He's got a youth camp in Tazewell, Tennessee. And it opened up the door for me to go up there and, and just help out volunteer and just needed to get away. And um, went up there. And he introduced me that Monday night. And he said, this is Rebecca. She's going to be giving her testimony one night this week. And I said, like I said a minute ago, I said, you've lost your mind. I said, ain't no way. I said, I can't get up in front of people. I said, I will pass out. And uh, I believe he thought I was really serious because he stood behind me like this the whole time. And, uh, but I made it through it, and, um, and God showed me a lot through that. And uh, God, there had probably not been a time since I'd gotten out of jail that jail ministry had not been on my mind and my heart. And uh, I tell people I know that had to be a God thing because this old girl would have never thought about walking up in a jail on her own free will. Uh, I knew it was God. And, and, but I was running from it, uh, telling God, God, you know my rap sheet. You know, I'm still on probation. Um, and uh, I can't speak in, good enough. And I don't know enough Bible. And I don't know the, all the excuses we've all made. Um, and, and I was making all those. And, and, but up there on July 19th, 2007, that Friday night, I finally went up and I said, God, whatever it is you want me to do, I'll do it. And, and, and God, give me peace about it. And I'll tell you this. I, I tell people, until you really surrender, there is no real peace. Until you really surrender to God, there is no real peace. And, and I went up there and I surrendered. And, and God, give me peace. And, and uh, still thinking, you know, I ain't going to get to go in no jail. And uh, still on probation and all this stuff. And the sheriff don't like me too well. And uh, all this. And... And by January 2008, still on probation, I walked into my hometown jail for the very first time and got to do Bible studies with the ladies. Got to lead two of my party friends to the Lord that first time. And, and uh, man, I fell in love with it. I thought, wow, this is awesome. And, and jail ministry is, is my passion. It's my heart. Um, I love reaching out to, to those that society and everybody else says is hopeless and helpless and there's no use because that was me. Um, Ronnie can even tell you that even preachers and pastors come up to him and say, give up on her. She'll never change. She's gone too far. I'm so thankful that God never gives up on us. Um, he never gives up. As long as there's breath, there's hope. And, um, and, and But I went in there, and I had such a bad reputation. The jailers didn't like the idea of me doing jail ministry. 
And uh, I had such a bad reputation that when I would leave that jail, the ladies would get strip searched uh, because they thought it was a big front, a big con. And, and But eventually, man, I got to witness to them, and they, they seen that God had really changed me and, and all that. And, and it was awesome. I'd done jail ministry for about two years there. And then God opened up the door for me to go to Africa. And uh, still on probation, convicted felon. Ain't supposed to be out of the state of Tennessee. And uh, here I am trying to get to go to Africa. And... and um, I went, and I had to get permission to leave, and, and I went to the judge. Me and my pastor had went. He went with me. And uh, the judge came out, and he said, I've heard about her testimony, and signed the paper. He said, go, and give me permission to go to Africa. Africa changed my life. Over there, the people, as you see everywhere, is bare footprints in dust and dirt, and uh, they ain't got nothing. Holy shirts, barely any britches on, and, uh, and man, they're hungry for Jesus. Uh, they walk for two days to come to church, and we won't even walk across the street sometimes. Beg you for a Bible. We had one Bible that we could give away to, a day, and they would tell us, you know, pray about what, who God really wants you to give this to. And, and I went to a village. We walked way up on the mountain and, and went up there to this village, and I was giving them a, a Bible. Got to see several of them come to know Jesus up there. And the woman got down on her hands and knees to take that Bible from me. And when you leave one village, you've got to hurry and get back to the bus because it will leave you. And sometimes you'll walk for an hour and a half, two hours to get to a village. And uh, they'll say, no, you can't leave yet. There's another village up the road. You've got to go tell them. And I thought, wow. And uh, there's one instance that a young 12-year-old girl accepted Christ. And we was trying to hurry and get back to our van. And my interpreter, he said, she's trying to get your attention. And, and I turned around. And he said, she wants you to follow her. And I followed her along this long brick road and and she took me back here to three of her family members she wanted us to tell about jesus and got to see all three of them get saved and and uh, god just done a thing and uh, they would give you the best they had there's one lady we come out of the hospital and and a lady come up to us out of breath and um she said i heard you was here sharing the gospel about jesus and she said i've looked everywhere and she said i couldn't find you she said but now i found you will you please tell me and uh they would sing You'd get together, man, you're talking about God moving. Um, and there was times I told them, my interpreter wasn't there a couple of times. I said, look, I said, I can't understand a word they're saying, but the Holy Spirit has no language barrier, and they was getting it on. And uh, they even had me up there dancing one time. That wasn't pretty. Um, I, I told them, I said, look, I said, white girl ain't got no rhythm. And, uh, but I had, I had a good time. But they would sing with, these, with nothing. And one of the songs they would sing was, I've walked all around the world, and I've looked everywhere. And I've never found nobody better than Jesus. And here we are and we got everything. Got everything. And we barely even acknowledge him sometimes. And man, God really dealt with me. And, and then I went to Guatemala and, and uh, they have a little bit more. And something God showed me. And uh, they had a little bit more material possessions and, and their heart was a little harder. Uh, they wasn't as receptive to the gospel. And then we come to America and nobody even wants to listen to you. And... Uh, but in that first trip to Africa, they started talking to me, the, to several preacher friends of mine, about Clear Creek Baptist Bible College. And I thought, man, that's awesome. You know, and I was trying to uh, placate them. I was like, yeah, but that's something I'd never really do. That's way out of my comfort zone. And, and, uh, but they sent me the material um, to Clear Creek, and I wouldn't even open it because I was scared to death that's where God was going to call me. And I didn't want to leave. And for the first time in my life, me and my son actually had some. We was living in a three-bedroom house. Three acres of land. I was working five minutes from where I lived. My son was in a Christian school. I mean, God had just blessed. We had never had nothing. And God had just blessed. And I was comfortable. I was doing jail ministry every week, going down to the Unicoi County Jail. And, and uh, my church was even crazy enough to let me use their church van. 
And um, I, would, I would use that church van every service, and I would go, when my ladies would get out of jail, I would go pick them up and take them to church with me. Sometimes I'd have to leave about two hours early to go get everybody. And, and any given service, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday, we'd have 15 convicted felons on that church van. And uh, one day I, I told Kim, a girl that was sitting up front with me, and I said, Kim, I said, do you know I love you? I said, but if we ever was to get pulled over, I said, there's no way they're going to really believe that this church let us borrow this. I said, we're going down. And, uh, but uh, we had a good time and seen God do some work in some of those ladies' lives and, and just had fun serving the Lord. And, and, uh, but uh, God's got a sense of humor. Uh, went back to Africa the next year after I done told them I wasn't going to go to Clear Creek and all this. And uh, so the next year, about the same time, I went back to Africa. And uh, I'm there with the president of Clear Creek Baptist Bible College. And I said, okay, God. And, and so he talked to me a little bit. And they even introduced me. This is your next per, uh, prospective student. I'm like, yeah, whatever. And uh, so I come back from Africa, still running from that, and, and wouldn't even open up that, that book or anything. And one day on my way to church, about five minutes from church, I get a phone call. I've got the van loaded with girls. And, and they said, your house is on fire. And um, I dropped my girls off, went to my pastor. And I said, look, I said, you're going to have to get them home. I said, my house is on fire. And uh, went back. And we had nothing. I had $30 in my bank account. And I'm sitting there thinking, wow. And, and in the middle of that, I'm standing there and my pastor calls me. And he said, one of the girls you brought this morning got saved. And I thought, wow, man, maybe God just needed to get me out of the way. And, and I looked over and everything destroyed. And that book, Clear Creek Baptist, had not been touched. Um, and God, like I said, God's got a sense of humor. And, but because my house burnt down, that opened up the door for me to go out, up and check out Clear Creek Baptist Bible College. And, and I went up there, and I was still kind of running from I was in Kentucky for something else. And um, I was coming back by, and I knew the road. Uh, I was passing the road, and I went on by, and I'm like, I'm not stopping. And God just said, you need to go back. And, and so finally I turned around, and, and I'm stubborn, uh, if you can't tell. And uh, finally I turned around, and I, I went back, and as soon as I got there on campus, I knew that's exactly where God wanted us. And no doubt in my mind, I scared to death uh, and I barely made it through high school, uh, much less college. And, and But you're supposed to be on probation five years before they'll accept you at Clear Creek. And I was still on probation. <laughs> and uh, so I'm thinking, okay, God, show me something. You know you know how we do sometimes. And uh, <clears throat> I went back, so I had to get permission uh, to try to get off probation early. And um, I went to court, just showed up, just hoping that the judge would hear my case and set me a court date. And I went in there, and criminal court judge, and... And I'm sitting in there, and, and I was the last one. And public defender that had represented me many times was in there. And he turns around and he said, Rebecca, he said, what are you doing here? And that was my biggest fear, that somebody was going to see me and think, man, I've messed up again. You know, because that's my testimony. And, and uh, so I got to uh, uh, share with him what God had done for me and how he changed my life. And he said, let me tell you something. He said, I've been doing this a long time. He said, um, most people I can tell when they come in and out of here, if, they're, if they've got a chance, if they're ever going to change or, or do anything. He said, when i seen you, i seen no hope. And I said, man... Ain't God good? And uh, I got to go up there. The judge let me come up there and speak to him. And, and I was telling him the situation. He said, I'll tell you what. He said, I'll give you a court date for September. And I said, no, you don't understand. I said, my classes start in August. And um, he said, I'll tell you what. He said, I'll make an exception. He said, my docket's full. He said, how about July 17th? I said, man, that's awesome. Because I really believe that that's where God wanted me. He'd make a way. And um, he looked at me. And he said, tell me how you got from where you was to where you're at now. So I got to share my testimony in the middle of the courtroom to the judge, public defender, uh, uh, probation officers, and everybody. And, and he looks at me, and he says, I've had a bad day. And I don't care who you are. That's something you never want to hear from a criminal court judge. 
And so all I knew to do was put my head down as humbly as I knew how and say, I'm sorry. And he said, no, he said, you've been a blessing to me. He said, you're off probation right now. First time I've been off probation in 15 years and walked out of there off paper. And, and, and I went and I started school in August and, and um, they made an exception for me to come in because I had references and stuff. And one of my biggest fears was jail ministry. I was having to walk away from the jail ministry in Unicoi and, and God, God opened door after door after door. And uh, up there I do two different jail ministries in Bell County and Knox County and uh, go in every week. Uh, he's opened up the door for me to go to an alternative school and deal with uh, troubled uh, young people. And, and I've got to go into a couple of prisons, um, got to go into several other jails, one-time deals just to go around and share my testimony with the men and the women. Um, and he's opened up door after door for me to go into churches and, and share my testimony. I tell people, this ain't me because I really I get terrified standing in front of folk. And, uh, but I tell people that I believe God called me to do what I do because he knows it's got to be him and it can't be me. And, uh, you know, and I'm thinking and I love sharing with people what God's done in my life and, and, uh, that it is all him, that how he can change anybody anywhere at any time. And, uh, but up there, uh, I, I've told people that I've even passed all my classes and I ain't even had to cheat. Um, so, uh, I, when I first went up, I said, look, I said, I know this is a Bible college. I said, does that mean you can't cheat? And, uh, and then I went to my, and I'm just me wherever I go. I went to my English class and my professor was standing there and I said, look, I said, we got problems. I said, I don't speak English. I said, I speak redneck, hillbilly, and a little bit of thug. And, um, she just looked at me and laughed. They all give me a hard time. We had the trustees come up there the other day and the dean of students. Every time they would walk by, they'd say, boys, watch your wallet. <laughs> and, uh, so I started to go get a fake wallet and be like, anybody missing one? But uh, they all, um, you know, I get along with all of them, and, and they all just give me a hard time and stuff. And I tell the dean of student affairs, I'm still waiting on him to get saved. But uh, he, um, you know, God's blessed me so much. And every time, honestly, every time I pull into that school building every morning, I sit there and I feel like I'm living a dream. Because I think, wow, man, this is my life. This is my, because I thought I'd die a junkie. Didn't think God could do anything with somebody like me. And, and uh, didn't think there was no meaning and purpose and future. And, and there wasn't in the world. But with God, there is. And, and uh, it just it blows my mind how good God's been to me. And we live on campus. And, and uh, you know, he's just blessed us uh, time and time again. And, and then uh, about, I'll share this story and then I'll be done. About a year ago, I got diagnosed with bone cancer. And... Um, it, it was tough because I was in a situation they say bone cancer is one of the most painful types of cancer there is. And, and, and so I couldn't take pain medication because I was an addict. And that scared me because I know how the devil can work. I know how the flesh can work. And I didn't want to go back there. And, and uh, so I would suffer. I would sit and hurt. And they even scheduled an amputation for me twice. I'm very active. Me and my son, we love to go uh, on four-wheelers, dirt bikes, and skiing and tubing and all this stuff. And... and uh, They'd scheduled an amputation twice, and God, in the midst of that, right before that, just intervened, and, and it shrunk enough to where they put off the amputation. And, and, uh, but one of my biggest fears was, you know, if they take my leg, um, you know, how am I ever going to do jail ministry again? Because that really is my passion. And, and God spoke to my heart one day, and he said, I didn't call you to do jail ministry because you got two legs. He said, I called you because of me. And I thought, wow, that makes a lot of sense. And, and um but, but I did. I joked around with them a little bit. My doctor was lost. And, and I said, you know, I've had my leg for 30 years. I've kind of grown to like it. And, uh, and um, I did tell them. Some of y'all may not think this is funny. I thought it was funny. 
Um, but I told them that if they had to amputate, I was going to see if I could keep it and get it stuffed and mounted, you know, kind of like the toys, the Christmas story. I thought I might as well have fun with it. And, uh, but uh, anyway, they, they, they scheduled another surgery called limb salvage surgery for December of last year. They was going to try to go in and save my leg. And, and I told them, I said, y'all need to change the name of that. That just sounds nasty. And, uh, but uh, I went, and, and um, there was a lot of complications that could take place. They could do it where it's affecting my nerves and my blood vessels. I could end up paralyzed, and they still could end up having to do uh, amputation and all this stuff. And, and I was even on a cane for a while. And, uh, and, man, I had thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people praying. I still get letters to this day from people. I don't have a clue who they are saying they're praying for me. And, uh, and prayer changes things. And I went, and I had to go have some tests done before my scheduled surgery. I was having it in Chicago, actually at Zion, Illinois, Cancer Treatment Center of America. And that's a whole other story in itself, how God worked that out. But I went, and, and my first test came back, and my doctor called me. He said, he said, something's wrong. He said, something. He said, your tumor's not showing up. He said, and, and I'd noticed about a month before that that I'd gotten off my cane right before that. My leg wasn't hurting as bad, and, and, and still, you know, you still think everything. And, and um he said, you're going to have to go have your test taken again. He said, we can see the bone damage. He said, but your, your tumor's not showing. He said, I know it's there. He said, I've worked on you for a year. And he said, you got to go take it again. I went and done my second test, and it came back, and he said, it's still not showing up. He said, uh, he said you got to go have your test one more time. So I went, and so all these thoughts were going through my head, and I even struggled. I thought, man, am I supposed to believe that God's taking this away and, and all this? Because I knew God could, but I also know it's not always God's will. And uh, so I was struggling with what really to believe, and and God just told me, just trust me no matter what. And uh, that makes a difference. And I went and I had my third test, and it still didn't show up. There was a hole in my bone from where the tumor had been. And um, and I tell people that I believe that, that God left that there to prove that it was a God thing, not a man thing. And um, But um, it, it was crazy. And, and so he, he refused to say that the surgery had been canceled. He said it's postponed. And, uh, and God really used that for me to open up the door to witness to him a whole lot more and, and everything. And, and, uh, but, uh, you know, even just through all of that, I mean, God was so good to me. Even if, even if God would have took my leg, he would still be just as good. Nothing would have changed. And, uh, but two weeks later, my doctor ended up getting saved because of what God did. And God's got a reason. And uh, sometimes we see through tunnel vision, and God sees the whole picture. And when I got cancer, I never seen what God was going to do through that and everything. And, and I still hurt and end up having to have a, a minor surgery. thought I was still going to have to have an extensive surgery. They went in and they put bone cement in my bone, and uh, which is just uh, awesome too. And and uh, but but we never know why things happen the way they happen. And and even I got to thinking about this. It all started with my house burning down. If my house wouldn't have burnt down, I wouldn't have went to Clear Creek. I assure you. I wouldn't have went to Clear Creek. And if I wouldn't have went to Clear Creek, Clear Creek at that hospital is where I met my doctor. And he said, come see me. And I wouldn't have met him. And if I wouldn't have met him, he may not have gotten saved when he did. And it just, and I got to looking at that. I thought, wow, man, when, when the Bible says all things work together for good to those that love him, to those that are called according to his purpose, he means all things. And sometimes we say, well, all things but this. How can this work out for good? How's God going to use this? But he doesn't. And everything in my life that the devil's meant for evil, God's turned it around and used it for good. And uh, I'm so thankful for that because I do, uh, in, a, in a way, I regret a lot of the things I've done, but I'm thankful that I went through some of the things I did and, 
And, and God brought me from what he brought me from because that's made me who I am today. I see things different than most people. And, uh, but God's blessed and, and continues to bless. And, and he's laid on my heart about starting a, a Christian halfway house. Um, I tell people, you know, it's one thing that we go into the jails and the prisons and share Christ and they make professions. But when they get out, they have nowhere to go but to the same people, same place, same situations. And they ain't strong enough. Uh, they need help. They need a safe place to land when they get out of jail. Somebody that loves them is going to help them, take them to church and, and everything. So really be praying about that. And uh, one of my, or my, my life's verse is Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. It says, For I know the thoughts that I have to, towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end or a future and a hope. And um, when I first seen it, I thought, wow, well, I man, God loves me. Uh, God thinks about me. He has good thoughts, and he wants to give me a future and a hope. And, uh, and you know, there's nothing special about me. He wants to do it for everybody. And uh, drugs and alcohol affect so many people this day and time. Uh, most of you, I'm sure, can think of somebody that struggles with drugs and alcohol. Or you know somebody, or maybe a family member or a relative, or somebody you've prayed for. And I want to leave you with this. Don't ever give up. Don't ever give up. Keep praying, man. Ronnie Owens prayed for me for 10 years before I got saved. And... Uh, uh, prayer changes things, and there's power in prayer. And, and so don't ever give up. And, and maybe you're sitting here. I mean, I don't know you, don't know your heart. Maybe you're sitting here and you struggle yourself. Because, see, I'm not stupid enough to think that just because you're in this church, uh, you know, um, sorry, I'm just being honest. Um, but, man, God can break those chains, whatever they may be. It may not even be drugs and alcohol. Uh, we all, I believe, have that sin that so easily besets us. And, and God can break that. And give us true peace and true freedom. And there's nothing like it when he does it. And again, I just want to thank you guys for the opportunity to come and share.